Hi, this is the Search Dog Podcast, brought to you by the National Search Dog Alliance, the voice of canine search and rescue. I'm Megan Ortega. Welcome to the 2021 Podcast Conference, brought to you by the National Search Dog Alliance. A new episode will appear each Saturday and Sunday through November with interviews from National Search Dog Alliance board, members, subject matter experts, and community. We are covering the past, present, and future of canine search and rescue. We are talking about what NSDA is doing and what you can look forward to seeing from NSDA in the future. Listen for search dog stories and more. Find more information about NSDA on our website, n-sda.org. And I encourage you to sign up for our once monthly newsletter while you're there. You can also find NSDA on Instagram and Facebook. Search for National Search Dog Alliance. Our cover art is from the SAR shop, where you can find gifts and gear for you, your dog, and your friends. Find them at sarshop.com. Enjoy! Heather Cutting lives in Washington State and has been involved in dog search and rescue since 1997. She's a member of King County Search Dogs and the National Search Dog Alliance. Heather has worked hundreds of searches in King County and Washington. She specializes in helping new teams get off the ground, and she's helped dozens of teams get to certification. She's assisted Andy Redman and Marsha Koenig teach a number of classes over the years and taught solo classes as well. She's taught classes in air scent, wilderness, cadaver, and water. So how long have you been working with working dogs? Yeah, so I actually got involved with uh, Search and Rescue in, uh, what year was it? It was uh, 1997. (laughs) Um, That's when I first joined uh, King County Search Dogs out here in Washington State. And I was uh, uh, an older old mid late twenties person. My husband and I both um, got involved together and decided that it was something that we'd like to do basically as a lifestyle. Um, We, it was something I was always interested in doing. I had uh, seen um, a demonstration of dogs working when I was in high school. I actually got to hide in a snow cave and I, the, the handler had like prepped us and given us, um, uh, like a mic, you know, not a microphone, but a walkie talkie, <laughs> um, pre, pre radio, I guess, and told us to lay, yeah, lay in that snow cave. And then the dog actually fell through the roof of the snow cave. And then the original instructions she had given us, she had said, here, throw this rag in the dog's mouth so it doesn't uh, rip your Gore-Tex jacket. So we did that. And the dog actually dragged me and my partner out of the snow cave. And it, it was a huge impact on me. I was in high school at the time. And I was like, I am going to totally do that one day. So fast forward quite a few years and my husband and I um, had our had gotten our very first dog and we had a house and we were in our first jobs and kind of settling in post-college life. And um, I fought, saw a flyer for King County Search Dogs. They were starting to um, bring in membership. And I said, I, let's go check that out. So we went to the meeting, very first meeting, and I walked into the room and they asked me that question. Why are you interested in working with dogs and um, doing search and rescue work? And I told that story. And a woman in the back of the room actually stood up and said, that was me. 
Uh, that was my dogs you were seeing that day. And that was um, actually Marcy Koenig, who is uh, no married way. to Andy Redman. And uh, I, I kind of walked away from that going, well, my husband specifically walked away from it saying, well, this is destined to be. So um, that was oh 24 years ago now. And uh, that is been... an incredible story. <laughs> Fun, fun times. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, I love that story so much. I, um, I still remember meeting a uh, police working bloodhound at the fair yeah. when I was uh, there. Six. you go. <laughs> um, and it made such an impression on me and I will never own a bloodhound. I'm just not up to that. <laughs> um, but I respect them so much. And, and yeah. that is just so cool that you ended up meeting Marcy later that is just incredible yeah yeah so it doesn't really address specifically the working dog angle but uh been involved since then and really had an opportunity to train lots and lots of new handlers in King County search dogs and then uh as part of that um because I happened to be in a unit that was run by um uh Andy Redman and Marcy Koenig, who um, are the authors of the Cadaver Dog Handbook. Um, It meant that I had the opportunity to travel initially all around the United States to help teach um, human remains detection classes and then eventually um, to other parts of the world. So I can't express fabulous experience. I can't express how jealous I am right now. That's amazing. Well, those things you fall into in your life and you don't really know how lucky you are, but it's true. It's true. Uh, what was the first step you took when getting into search and rescue? It sounds like it, you went to high yeah. school. That's good. Yeah. I went to high school. Well, I went to that first meeting. I think, uh, back then it was a paper flyer that I saw, um, at the library. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and that first meeting was a face to face meeting. I think things are obviously very different nowadays. So that first step was going to that meeting and learning. We actually, um, I think probably our second um, meeting that we went to, they said, do you want to do uh, air scent dog or, or trailing dog? And we didn't really know anything at all about it. And my uh, Josh, my husband, who we, we've been involved the whole time, he actually, his response was, well, we want to do down your dogs because he'd heard them joking about up your versus down your dogs. Uh-huh. Um, so we already had a down-eared dog, so we decided to, to go forward with down-eared dogs. But uh, air scent dog is where we started, uh-huh. mostly because that was the question uh, that we answered. And really the um, first step we were taking and some of the choices that we made um, as far as what discipline to get into was really based on the need um, of the community that we were in and the need of that particular organization. They were looking for air scent dogs and we said, yes, let's do that. Right. Yeah. That's a good, uh, no, that's a good thing to base it off of. Uh, I've been in that position myself. So, um, have you stuck with down-eared dogs then? We have. Yes. (laughs) We've been, uh, down-eared dog lovers the whole time. So yeah. we're on probably our sixth and seventh um, dogs in the house. Um, well, eighth, technically, we have another one with us. but um, And they've all been Labrador retrievers. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep, I love my down-eared dogs, and I have loved my up-eared dogs in the past, too. And but yeah. 
And I've I've enjoyed training with many, many of your dogs. I'm sure. So they, I'm sure. <laughs> there's just that matter of what you want to live with in your house uh, and how much liability and insurance you want to deal with on a daily basis. Yes. Um, and yeah, so those are all things I think that have to go into consideration when you're making a great choice. Agreed. Um, yeah. So what advice do you have for someone that's interested in getting into canine search and rescue today, uh, being that things are so very different than they were when you got into things? Yeah, I mean, really the best advice that I can ever give someone is to really seriously consider getting out and visiting uh, with the canine team. Um, if you're already involved in search and rescue, that's absolutely going to give you a leg up as far as knowing um, knowing about the lack of excitement that search and rescue often is. You know, it's not really all about helicopters and climbing and rappelling down things. It's much more about walking around in the woods in the middle of the night yeah. um, and repetitively doing the same exercise over and over again right. with right. a dog to really um, give them fluency and get them um, really good at their work. So we really like people to come out and to experience what it's like to sit in the woods for a couple hours to, when you're helping train each other's dogs. Cause I've been doing this over 25 years and um, probably two or three weekends ago, I ended up hiding in the woods for five hours because that's what was needed. Um, yeah. That's what the teams needed. Uh, they needed that time to, to expand and do all that. So uh, you're going to spend a lot of time <laughs> hiding and, playing with dogs and um, sort of really experiencing that. And I think one of the other really important things for people to know what the terrain is like, where they live, and what they're going to be experiencing when they're out um, hiking and searching um, for missing people, because it, it could be that it's a very mountainous, it could be very snowy, and you have to be comfortable in those situations. So check that out before you decide to get into it. <laughs> I remember being surprised, pleasantly surprised, by how much time I got to spend sitting in the woods doing nothing. <laughs> um, and, and then oh, something else that, um, that you may or may not agree with is uh, I didn't realize that on training days, sometimes my own dog ends up sitting in the car mm -hmm. for hours and hours and hours. And, yep. Um, you know, it's not like your team is made up of people who are there to help you tire your dog out. That's just not right. how it works. Right. And especially true when you f first start out. Yes. You're, you, you may get a really quick round at the beginning and a quick round at the end of the day, but the majority of what you're doing there is following other teams. It's hiding for other teams. It's, you know, being part of, um, of that training. Right. So, um... Do you have any stories about your early days in Canine SAR? And also, will you tell us who that is talking in the background? Uh, that's Tika. Uh, she's one year one year old Labrador Retriever, and it is just about dinner time. Well, it's oh. actually an hour before dinner time, and I think she's trying to convince someone downstairs that she should get dinner much sooner than <laughs> she 
she should really have it. Yes. And it sounds like he actually might be feeding her. Which very convincing. Be. Yeah. I am starving. You need to feed me. Trust me. Believe in me. Yeah. Yes. Um, so let's see. Oh, uh, early days, early days. Well, uh, in my very early days in search and rescue, you know, we still use the Thomas guide to figure out where we were going. So that was always, um, uh, you had to stop in the middle of the night and turn it, open the map and try to figure out where you're going. But, um, <laughs> my, my, a Thomas guide. <laughs> it was a, it was a book of maps and we would send out. We all had pagers, and uh, we would send out um, the because you could only put numbers <laughs> pagers. So they would put out the number of the Thomas Guide page. We all had the same Thomas Guide, oh, and then the yes. the address would be after that. So you would use that number in the Thomas Guide to find your way. Amazing. <laughs> different different world, different but. World. Uh, Cell phones have really, really changed it and made it so much easier to get uh, where we needed to go. But my my early days in search and rescue um, actually happened to coincide um, with the, uh, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Green River Killer, um, but he, uh, Gary Ridgway was arrested um, very close to the beginning of my search and rescue days. And so probably the first, uh, I guess it was 2001, 2002, which was a few years in, but I was, had just certified with a human remains detection dog and, um, me and the other handlers, I think we searched almost every single weekend, um, working to help continue find remains. Um, oh, wow from the Green River Killer, from his work. Uh, he was at that point talking. So they had lots of places to check. And I had the great um, opportunity to be one of the people who got to work in an area that he had reported um, leaving someone. And my dog came in and uh, located a piece of spine and then also had an indication on a one spot where I didn't actually find out until two years later when they finally um, said it during a crime scene, they actually found the um, skull right at that location. So, and that would have been a, it would have been in the eighties. So almost 25 year old um, case that was wow. being worked at that time. So we probably had 70 to 80 missions a year um, and a majority of those in those first few years that I was involved in SAR were those um, cold case, um, wow. cold case uh, opportunities. And they were, you know, we learned a heck of a lot. Um, and obviously King County Search and Rescue had that opportunity to learn uh, a lot of the work that, that they got um, during the early Green River Killer days in the 80s. Um, that's where they really perfected the, um, you know, the grid system of the search and rescue angle because search and rescue was super involved um, in the 80s when he was uh, in his heyday. So anyway, <laughs> that's uh, something we did a lot. So I, I crawled under the house that Gary Ridgway grew up in. I searched the backyard that he was living in. Um, I was arrested. 
Wow. Um, and then, of course, all the different woods uh, around here. And, of course, we still have uh, victims that haven't been recovered yet. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's one story. Wow. That, <laughs> that is incredible. And, and just the amount of work, how, how that level of work can take a lifetime. It really can. And, you know, and we're not done, right? Like we still will get called out on, um, you know, they'll find another little piece of bone and it'll bring it all back and we'll go back and they, and they're still trying to, um, you know, tag other, other serial, um, killer victims to him, um, for other purposes. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. But lots of things. You get to do all kinds of interesting things in search and rescue. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. That was really, yeah, yeah really fascinating. And just a, an, an amazing and unique way to start out your SAR career. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's good times. <laughs> so one of uh, the National Search Dog Alliance requirements is uh, knowledge of uh, reading map using a compass and using mm -hmm. a GPS. How did you learn those skills? Yeah, so I'm in Washington State, um, and we have basically statewide standards um, that include sort of like, uh, we have to have minimal checkoffs, like a core competencies, this is what they call them. So my county has designed um, courses that we all take um, to officially do it and then we have to basically pass um, pass off on those core competencies um, and I would say that th those kinds of classes or those kinds of opportunities in search and rescue um, they give you that baseline baseline they really kind of you know you learn what button does what you learn how to use your map you learn how to use your compass but the reality is you I've been doing this 24 years and I learn something new every single time I go out. Mm -hmm. I'm always, um, you know, reevaluating my understanding of the terrain, um, how the map correlates to the terrain, trusting my compass. Um, we do a lot in um, our county because our testing actually doesn't allow the team to use the GPS because we want our handlers to have a really strong understanding of place. Um, and able to place themselves on a map sure. before they start using the GPS. So we do a lot of practice without the GPS. We'll have them, you, they can turn it on and leave it in the pack and then uh, work their area and then afterwards open it up and take a look and see how they did, how straight were their cuts, you know, <laughs> all that. But then actually practicing with the GPS is crucial too. Um, learning how to, like the use of a GPS has just come day and night in my time in search and rescue and the ability to download a GPX file onto a GPS to really allow a handler to follow nice straight lines and know exactly what they've covered in real time in base is um, really a, a fabulous tool and I think has it really increased the safety of our teams and increased our ability to have more um, accurate coverage in the field. But as far as learning, um, I have people practice bearings. Um, we'll take them out and 
it's really nice to go from a hard boundary to a hard boundary initially. Um, and even if you can identify something specific on a hard boundary, and when I say hard boundary, I'm talking about a stream or a road, um, something when, when you get to it, you know, you're there. Right. Um, and that's a great way to just to, you know, pick a compass bearing off the map, decide what that bearing is going to be, get out there in real life and actually walk from one point to the other and see if you're in the spot that you were shooting for. Expecting to be. Expecting yeah. to be. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, I think that um, it's almost one of those things. I, I am also in Washington State. It's one of those things where every time I pick up my map and compass, um, I get a little bit better with it. Mm -hmm. But every time I sort of feel like I'm learning it for the first time. Um, it's not at all like riding a bike uh, <laughs> for me. Um, so, yeah, it, it is definitely a matter of practice. So in your work with search dogs, um, what kind of dogs do you have? Um, what kind of dogs do you enjoy working? Um, and what disciplines do you work them in? Yeah, yeah. So I have Labrador Retrievers and... Um, I work in air scent. I do human remains detection. Um, and that involves both land and water. And we do do avalanche work, um, primarily more in the, the remains detection angle of it, because we're not uh, within that first 15, 20 minute window of potentially finding a live um, avalanche victim. So we concentrate more on um, deceased. Sure. So those, those are the main disciplines I personally work in. The unit I work in also has trailing teams, and we do um, support each other on a regular basis at training and searches and uh, things like that. Will you ever work a dog other than a Labrador Retriever? Um, I've, I've been tempted. I've been super tempted. Um, I currently have uh, a breeder that I've worked with for the last three dogs that I have that I've been really, really happy with. And part of that is early on, my first two dogs, um, they had um, both ended up with cruciate ligament tears. And I had to go through um, TPLO surgery. So I've done four TPLO sur oh. surgeries on dogs, which is not only incredibly expensive, it's also, you know, super time consuming. Yes. Um, and but loads as, of recovery. Right, yeah. Lots of rehab and pool time and right. exercise equipment and things <laughs> like that. Um, so the current breeder that we're with, we've been super happy with the health of the dogs. They really have um, avoided a lot of that. So I think that's a huge piece of, of you know, like I've been sticking, I, I was seriously considering going with a different breed after all those knee injuries, but we've done really well with this particular um, line, uh, working line, and have been happy with it. Um, I have a friend who breeds German Shepherds, and I've come very close to saying I would take one of her dogs. Um, so I, I would absolutely uh, work a different breed in a heartbeat. But, you know, German Shepherds have a lot of hair. So I don't necessarily want to live with one. <laughs> it really is. That's a big part of this is what kind of dog do you want to live with? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I had, so when I first started search and rescue, we didn't have a child yet. And then probably one of our requirements, um, to, you know, to decide to take that road into creating a family was to, um, make sure we were certified, (laughs) we had certified dogs. So we, we got certified first and then we, we did have a child. And when I was considering a new dog to bring into the house, we had, at the time, my husband's dog was a working uh, lab who um, was very difficult to live with. And I ended up making a choice to go with more of a, you know, more of a show line lab, mostly because I needed to live with all three of those dogs and a toddler right. in my house. Yes. <laughs> and and uh, that, that was an important aspect of it. So yeah. we've now gone to all field labs, but mm-hmm. I would never do that if I was have it had a different housing setup. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and really the, we loved goldens. Both of us had goldens as children. Um, but it was the amount of hair that goldens had. Again. That, Yes, had us true. moving towards the lab. So you have to decide how much you want to vacuum. Yeah, I do and... have to say, though, my lab mix sheds so much. She is a primary shedder. <laughs> well, theories don't always work. So, Heather, tell us about a dog you will never forget. Oh my gosh. Well, I think the reality is when you do this work, you're never going to forget any of the dogs um, that you've worked with, that you've seen. Um, You know, I've had the opportunity to start, uh, gosh, probably close to 50, 60 dogs in their search work over the years. And I still remember every single one um, and probably more than I remember the people. Uh, And they they all have their own little idiosyncrasies and their own little things that have worked for them and made them like the game. Um, What, what do I need to remember about a dog? (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, you know, that's a hard question because yeah, I mean, they're all, they're all, they all have their place. Right. You know, I remember that my, one of my husband's, there's all the stories about all the dogs, right? Like the one that uh, his dog actually ran across the highway um, and stole a sandwich out of a, a police officer's car. The door was open in the car, uh-huh. <laughs> ran across the, across the highway, grabbed the sandwich and came back. And uh, that was my husband's first dog, Edgar. And he, um, he just ranged unbelievably far uh-huh. and I know was really, that that. really, really good. Right. Um, but, but it does mean, you know, he kind of had his own little agenda sometimes. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I have a, a friend's dog and he's just a fantastic search dog and he will range so that you can't hear the bell anymore. And so mm-hmm. that you start getting worried and yeah. 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 My husband's first dog, Edgar, uh, he once did, um, over a quarter mile refined. Um, but you know, now that we've got those, the collars and we can know where they are, it's really kind of, um, reassuring. (laughs) And I think 
handlers do a little bit less calling the dog back constantly, right? Like right. You're if you can to... still see your dog on the screen. Yeah, right. Like, when that better. turns into a question mark, then you start to wonder if you should do something else. But, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, does your team use the Garmin Alphas? We do. Yeah. We, um, we were kind of resistant for a while. We didn't break down and do it. Um, but once we did, it's just totally changed. Yes. Um, how we get our search areas, how we assign our search areas. And then we also are avid users of SAR Topo um, and relating those um, that the maps that you create in SAR Topo directly to the, um, the Garmin and, you know, even some of the handheld stuff from a phone is just uh, mind blowing when I really think about where I started with my Thomas guide. This sounds very familiar. Um, the system that uh, your county uses sounds really similar to my experience in other counties in Washington, too. So, Yeah. Well, that is so cool, Heather. Thank you so much for, um, you know, for sharing Edgar's stories with us and, and for all of the service that you've provided in your many, many years with search dogs. I know that the work that you've done has been felt in so many different ways, uh, in ways that you'll never know. So thank you. And thanks for joining us today for the NSDA podcast. Yeah, anytime. Have a good day. You too. This podcast is brought to you by the National Search Dog Alliance, the voice of canine search and rescue. See more about the important work we do at n-sda.org. Special thanks to our guests today for taking time to share their experience and stories with us. And special thanks to our II Education Program Manager, Annalisa Burns, for scheduling and liaising for the podcast conference. If you would like to be a guest or suggest somebody else or submit questions for future guests, get in touch with us at podcastdiv at n-sda.org. Thank you for listening to the Search Dog Podcast. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to help others find our work.